I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're speaking to Michael McDevitt, who has covered city and county government for the Las Cruces Sun News for the past three years, since 2019. Michael's going to be moving on to a new opportunity in Chicago, where he attended college. During his three years covering Las Cruces and Doniana County, Mike has seen a lot and has shared his reporting with our community. There was a search for a new city manager, municipal elections, and historic city council election, the city's first instance of ranked choice voting, multiple initiatives, and a few scandals, and so much more. Michael has been a relentless watchdog reporter and a true asset to the Sun News newsroom. We'll miss his keen reporting and his attention to detail when writing stories for Doniana County readers. First, Michael, thanks for joining us today. Sure, anytime. Well, not for long, actually. (laughs) I hope you'll bear with me. I woke up feeling a little bit hoarse today, but hopefully you'll be doing most of the talking. I expect that. So let's just kind of start at the beginning. How did you end up in Las Cruces and what did you know before you got here? Well, uh, like a lot of fledging journalism students, I was looking for a job after college and after applying to a couple dozen different places, I just happened to get an offer here. Uh, I was living in Chicago at the time and um, I'd always wanted to live in the Southwest. And after doing a little bit of research on the area, seeing that it was the second largest city in New Mexico, seeing that there was a major university located here, and uh, it looked like a cool place to live. I remember vividly watching a, a tourism video produced by the city of Las Cruces prior to me deciding to take the job. And seeing some of the area highlighted in that video really sold me on taking the job in Las Cruces. And, and really, I've been here for just under uh, almost exactly three years. And I've really enjoyed getting to know this town in my time here. Do you remember the first story you reported? I do. I, I I think that the first story that I reported was a story about uh, film Las Cruces. There was actually a Bruce Dern movie that was shooting in town over at the warehouse that is actually no longer being used by the nonprofit. But uh, I went and I interviewed some uh, producers at the film, some uh, people who were working on it, as well as uh, State Senator Jeff Steinborn and Jonathan Sepp. And that was one of my first introductions to this area as this kind of burgeoning film destination. And at the time, I, I mean, I admit, I I thought it's like, well, it's it's a story about uh, a film that happens to be shooting here. You know, it's it's kind of a big deal, probably because there's not a lot of stuff that that gets shot down here in a town that I would imagine that most Americans have not really it's not really in their consciousness. And, and I think what's really delightful is that in the last couple of years since I've lived here, Las Cruces has really become a major New Mexico filming destination. Absolutely. And that is certainly kind of a, a through line in your reporting over these past three years or so. 
Yeah, for sure. I've um, I've not reported on a lot of different film sets specifically. That's been uh, a lot of the domain of our our trending reporter Leah. But uh, I've certainly reported on the amount of production days that have happened since New Mexico has come out of the worst of the 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 COVID nineteen pandemic, and um, as well as film Las Cruces's hiring of additional staff there. You know, they've they've sought more resources from local governments around the area. And I've done this. I remember writing this amazing profile of Jonathan Sepp, who's a guy who is uh, more of a fan of the behind the scenes work of film. He was a film student. He's from the area. And instead of moving to California, he 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 tried to stick around locally and see if he could develop the film industry here in his hometown. And and uh and, and that's something that he is now continuing to do as as the film liaison for Film Las Cruces. And I remember just getting to know him through all the different stories that I've done has been really insightful into how the the film industry has has grown here. And I think to cap that, um I think it might have been, yeah, last month I, I reported on Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's announcement down here in Las Cruces that there was a um, the state's third kind of major film partnership with a production company is actually going in an area of Las Cruces that has been underdeveloped for some time. That's right. And and really, it is largely the efforts of of Jonathan Sepp and and uh Jeff Steinborn that have have really uh and and people like Ross Marks that have have really gotten the ball rolling and and gotten this this off the ground. Yeah, for sure. I think what's just been delightful about my time is the amount of of uh high profile movie stars that have come down here to the area and just seeing um, seeing the beginnings of what I imagine is going to be a continuing trend for Las Cruces, just because of our film uplift tax incentive and and the you know the growing production studio that's going to be down here. I think that I'm I'm only here at the beginning of what I think is going to be m- much more of a regular film uh, film schedule in the town, as well as a uh, growing union workforce. Uh, which I know is one of the biggest things that they still want to uh, accomplish in Las Cruces, just having that year-round work. Sure, sure. Being able to to attract those uh, using local talent. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other notable uh, through lines of your reporting covering the, the city and county governments during your time in Las Cruces? Yeah, I think that uh, a couple of the ones that, I mean, how can I not have this conversation, Damien, and not talk about the pandemic. I mean, I got here in October of 2019. That was my introduction to, into Las Cruces. And, and I was not at the paper for even six months before the, um, you know, our whole office went completely remote and we are still working largely remotely to this day. So the pandemic has really been an overarching story throughout my time here. And I would say it was a real challenge to go from starting to cover the local government meetings that I cover in my day-to-day work, starting to meet and know those really crucial sources, elected officials, advocacy groups, policy, you know, people affected by policy and, and starting to develop that, to have that all 
interrupted by a pandemic and everyone be relegated to their respective homes for a, a large chunk of my time here, I think was a real challenge. And, and it, a lot of it almost forced me to accelerate how much I needed to learn about Las Cruces in order to deliver people the best possible reporting in a really crucial time. And, and I mean, we're still doing COVID stories to this day. And, and, and though I've taken a backseat in terms of the COVID reporting to focus more on all of the other day-to-day issues at the city and county, that I think was a huge dominating story. My first year or two working here uh, was, was really uh, dominated by that. Sure. And I mean, I continue to report on COVID related things to this day. Like I said, like the, like, I think one of the biggest through lines is the city council and its response to COVID. Um, Las Cruces city council was uh, a move pretty quickly to disperse aid dollars during the pandemic. They quickly gave the mayor emergency powers to enforce specific mandates either mask mandates or specific business restrictions dispersed things like voucher programs to to restaurants to give to low income folks and gave um, extra money to specific nonprofits that were assisting all the way up to now where we have the city dealing with how to distribute American Rescue Plan Act money, which was the federal coronavirus stimulus passed under Biden last March. That's something that I've covered because that the the process to actually disperse that money has hit several road bumps along the way. And so throughout my time here, I've not only covered what the city council is doing, but I've written a number of stories evaluating the legality, the effectiveness, and the the hiccups that have presented themselves as um, our local governments have dealt with responding to the pandemic. Sure, sure. Now, um, apart from COVID, what else stands out? I think what also stands out is, uh, I mean, I came in right around the time as the city was gearing up to hire a permanent city manager. Um, this came on the heels of uh, the departure of Stuart Ede, who was the, our, our previous city manager. Um, there was, um, though this is not something that I primarily covered, the Visit Las Cruces forensic audit. Um, that's something that was taking place around the same time that I got here. So I really needed to familiarize myself with a lot of that. And, um, you know, August or September around that time of 2020 is when they city hired Ifo Pili, uh, this guy who was a former NFL player, but then spent um, a dozen or so years in city government in Utah and moved down here and started to kind of pick up the pieces of everything that had transpired within city government and and is now as I've covered him, is trying to really move things forward and uh, address economic development poverty and really you know that's been a big part of my reporting is you know watching over the actions of the still relatively new city manager here in las cruces anything else uh, stand out yeah i think that uh, another through line for me was covering the opening of the doniana county crisis triage center this was a facility that was closed 
after construction uh, or, or never opened after construction for about eight years before it finally opened in the middle of 2021. But within my first few months of getting here, there was a reinvigorated plan from County Manager Fernando Macias to actually open this facility during which I began to investigate, you know, how much money was going into keeping this place open and how much money the county would be potentially spending to to open it. Uh, then the pandemic hit. The opening of this triage center was delayed from April of 2020 to the end of 2020, then to the beginning of 2021, it kept getting delayed. And, and, you know, after it opened, I didn't stop covering it. I started to cover how the county was actually adhering to its own promises about the opening of this center. I've looked at both utilization numbers. I've looked at the amount of money that's been spent to assist the center's operations, the money that at times has been more than the county promised it would be putting towards the the center. Um, I've looked at the failure to create an advisory board, which was stipulated in a contract. I've, I've also looked at the issues around getting certain insurers to cover the services offered there. And that's also intersected with what I think is is another through line for me again is is the prevalence of poverty and the intersecting issues with that homelessness, mental illness, substance abuse. That's all something that the crisis triage center at least was going to be part of a continuum to address. But um, especially in the last six months here, I've been covering a lot of backlash from you know, residents and people in the business community who have complained that property crime tied to homelessness has been um, increasing in, in, you know, in, in their areas and, and seeking to have the specifically the city of Las Cruces deal with this. And, and so a lot of these issues in Las Cruces are all intersected in some way. And, and that's been a lot of my time here is figuring out how a lot of these pieces fit together and um, covering the ways in which they contribute to different concerns and issues that that people are speaking about with their government officials. Yeah, and, and that last uh, point has certainly been a hot topic, uh, particularly over the last six months or so. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, Las Cruces has got uh, about a 25% poverty rate, according to the most recent census figures that we have. So it's it's no surprise that after uh, the worst global pandemic we've seen in a, in a generation and rising inflation, rising costs everywhere, um, you know, poverty has been front of mind for a lot of people. But um, the way in which it's discussed has been something that I've been I've been really happy as a reporter with how our newspaper has gone about taking the the concerns of people about property crime seriously, but also not letting some of the dehumanizing language that's been used against some of the most vulnerable people in our community, uh, you know, not letting that slide and, and, and making sure that we're trying to be fair and humane when, when we're having uh, public discussions about these issues, especially in the media. You arrived just before the municipal elections in 2019, um, and that was the city's first ranked choice voting, right? 
Yeah, I spent some of my first few weeks writing articles describing to people what ranked choice voting was, um, surveying people on election day uh, who had just voted ranked choice for the first time. And I'll tell you, ranked choice voting is is not an easy concept to understand. I think once people understand it, you, it, you can see it start to click. But that's what I've encountered throughout my time here is, is you know, we've had a couple of ranked choice elections in my time here. And and it's a system that's used in, in a couple of other places as well across the U.S. But um, that's certainly been something that I was not used to coming in. And I had to both educate myself on how it worked and then go about educating the community that was reading my work. And so that yeah. was really kind of a double challenge. We really struggled in the newsroom, not only to understand how it works, but then to explain it in simple terms to our readers, to our audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I remember you, Damien, putting together a um, a graphic for people to show how votes for second and third and subsequent choices were allocated um round by uh, round and and there were round by round for our 10 candidate mayoral (laughs) race and you know i was uh, just earlier that year in like march or april of 2019 whenever this happened the uh the chicago city elections were happening during my senior year of college and and uh and and that's a race that similarly had um a number of candidates, but went to a two-person runoff. Um, it, you know, this was similarly a, a large field of candidates, but you know, adapting to covering this kind of, you know, for for most Americans, bizarre way of counting votes uh, was was I, both a real treat. And also, I think, a really worthy challenge. But I think that I've done a good job. And and I mean, now I'm at a point where I can explain to family members and friends who are unfamiliar with ranked choice voting when it, for instance, pops up in their area. There was, you know, I'm, I'm from Massachusetts originally, if people don't know. Massachusetts had a ballot question a couple of years ago during 2020, I believe, that that was uh, to implement ranked choice voting there. And and I was explaining to family members of mine what that was. And, and the only reason I was able to explain it so well, I think, is just because of the amount of time I've covered it here in New Mexico. We talked a little bit about COVID. What were some of the other challenges that you encountered during your time covering these beats? Well, during COVID, Damien, I think that what I mainly tried to do was make sure that while I was seriously reporting on the city council's response to the pandemic and responsibly reporting on the seriousness of this this global health crisis, I was also not keen to let the city council and the mayor of Las Cruces get away with using the pandemic in situations where it, 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 a lot of people felt it might be inappropriate to act in a certain way. So for instance, I had uh, covered a citizen complaint that uh, criticized the city council for denying free speech based on how their public input uh, process was handled during COVID. This was a process by which the mayor could determine who was basically uh, uh, allowed to to speak during public comment because they weren't having people call into Zoom. They were basically having people email their comments in and the mayor would read them off, but he would have a lot of uh, deciding power over who he wanted to allow to speak for the entire time or not based on him reading it. And, and uh, and that was something where, though it was 
a justified action to restrict how public comment was done because these meetings were not in person. Um, I think we provided reasonable criticism of, of the city government over how its public comment was being administered when meetings were completely virtual. Another debate, for instance, that happened during this was um, mask mandates. We obviously at the Sun News have always reported in line with the consensus of health officials that that masks are um, effective, different types of masks, different degrees, of course, but masks are generally effective at slowing the spread of a respiratory virus like COVID-19. But, um, you know, there was this one moment I remember where the city had put in place um, masking rules at City Hall right around the time the City Hall was a voting location in the June 2020 primaries. And there was this debate between City Councilor Yvonne Flores and Mayor Ken Miyagashima over barring people who refused to wear a mask from City Hall, which was an early voting location, or and and I don't know if this applied to other voting locations or, or the county or whatever, but specifically this was um, at City Hall. You know, Councilor Flores was adamant that you know people should be allowed to vote even if they're. You know, like, does someone's right to vote supersede um, some of the protective measures that were being put in place to to slow the spread of the pandemic? And the mayor at the time was saying that it was justified to tell someone that if, if they didn't want to wear a mask, then they couldn't come in and vote. And that was something where I, you know, me and him uh, had an interview over the phone about it where where I really um, pushed back at this notion. You know, how was he justifying this and and what did he have to say to citizens who were still you know, there was still a large contingent of New Mexicans who were um, and almost never did become agreeable to to wearing masks. But at that time, I think there was a lot of a lot more people who were skeptical about the effectiveness of masks. And I think that was an important time where we were looking at some of the debates that were going on during the pandemic about the trade off between freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. What do you think of the way these governments operate after your time covering them, there there is quite undeniably a little turmoil on some fronts. There's a lot of turmoil. I think what has I guess I'll talk in two term in two ways about this. I think what's really impressed me about local government here is how engaged people are at all levels, not just people who are running for office, but the the people who come to speak before meetings. I mean, it, it, it's it's it should be a given that if something's affecting you, you should come to speak about it before your local government board. But, geez, the amount of people that uh, seem to care in this uh, in this county, in the city, in the, you know, in the state are, is, has really been, I think, I think has really helped my job as as a reporter because it's it, it means that I'm I'm meeting people who are affected by an issue almost every time I go to cover one of these things in person. And I think what's also um, notable just from my own reporting is that you don't have a lot of, again, this is my perception of it, but it doesn't seem that like the local boards that I have covered are full of like career politicians. I think I might be telling you a different story if I was covering the state legislature. Um, but you know, it, it feels like 
the the people that I'm I'm covering up on these local boards and then the people who are sitting in the audience they're they're cut from the same cloth most of the time and I think that's a different a, a difference where the higher you get up in government the more of a difference that's going to be and I think that's what's also been an interesting dynamic to watch play out is 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 how people elected to these boards are almost learning as much as they begin office as the people who they are are representing so they really are you know jumping into these these roles as kind of like everyday people plucked out of places across the community it's just what i've observed um but but yeah and i don't think that's something that you find in all levels of government when you when you're a reporter as you prepare to leave and pass the torch to another reporter what will it be important to uh, look for moving forward I think what's important to look for is how is the city adhering to uh, promises that it makes? How is the city following rules that it sets for itself? And how is the city council as uh, thought leaders, though limited in their power, responding to the issues that are affecting the city every day? Um, I, I can just give you a couple of different examples. I think that though the city has city council has limited authority to really influence the issues of crime and homelessness. I think what you've seen this past summer is uh, a lot of city councilors step up on the dais and speak out against some of that dehumanizing language that I mentioned before. And I think that's where, where a lot of people see their city councilors, or I think that's why a lot of people support certain city councilors is, is they, they do want someone who's in there speaking on, on perhaps their interests or expressing their their opinions. Um, and, and if they're saying something that they don't like, if they're using language that they don't like, I think that's also something where um, you, you have people who want to... I think a lot of politics that I've, I've noticed is national in nature, even at the most local level. And it comes from sometimes the fact that a lot of these local boards are very limited in their specific authorities. And I think that's where the, the presence of a lot of these people as kind of thought leaders or voices of certain political opinions come into play. And uh, there's people who want certain city councilors to be speaking out to be more tough on crime or speaking out in defense of vulnerable residents or you know, speaking out in, in all of these different ways. And, um, and I think that's where a reporter can really view, you know, how a city councilor might speak versus how they might vote on something. Um, that's always a, a valuable contrast to draw if there is one. In terms of the city actually following its own rules, I think one of my best stories that I, I uncovered while I was here was that the city was not adhering to its own ordinance to have a hired inspector general. Once that came to light earlier this January, uh, the process seemingly kicked uh, uh, kicked started uh, back up again, and, and they're now ready to post that job and hire somebody. Hopefully, they'll have some inspector general hired. But um, yeah, I think that my advice for the next reporter would be to talk to as many people as you can. Go out into the community, spend your days at 
community venues and different coffee shops, go visit local businesses, patronize local businesses, you know, get involved in the community as a reporter in ways that don't present a conflict of interest, of course. But I think that you can benefit a lot from really immersing yourself, especially if you're not from the area. Um, that's that certainly helped me. And I, I would advise that, you know, don't just talk to government officials. Don't just talk to people in power or in administrative positions. Talk to community members. Learn learn the faces and names of the same people who show up at public comment every week who are at every meeting and make friends with them um, as a reporter and, 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 you know, get to know them, have regular conversations with them. They might have insight and institutional knowledge that if you're not from the area can be really beneficial to you. Um, I think that that's what really makes or breaks a reporter is the ability to be be sociable with as many people as possible. And, and it, it's, it's a difficult balance that we strike as reporters because by the nature of our jobs, we are kind of meant to be extracting information from people at all times. And, and it can kind of make you feel a bit like a vulture when you're forming personal relationships with people. But I think that if you're open about what your job is, um, I think that you can get to know as many people as possible and display a genuine interest that's not fake. And I think that that really helps in your reporting. I think the feel of an area and the sentiment of an area like Las Cruces is as important as the the, the, the actual things that are happening in government. I think that that yeah the the way in, in you know the the values the people hold here, et cetera, I, I think are um, just as key to understanding the political scene, the local government scene as as the actual ordinances being passed. Sure. Leaving New Mexico, can you reflect a little bit on your time here? I came down to New Mexico knowing almost nothing about the place other than what I'd seen in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, of which I'm a super fan. <laughs> that, uh, but that actually think, uh, was my next question. But uh, I think in the last three years, I've really become an honorary New Mexican. I, I mean, at this point, I put green chili on almost everything I eat. <laughs> I... I, um, I've developed some really lifelong friendships here. I have been all over the state for personal reasons, not even just reporting. I've, I've gotten an opportunity to visit a lot of this state and it's, it's one of the most, um, naturally beautiful places I've ever lived. Um, and it's got such a diversity of, of people in place that I, I, I discourage people that I know from writing it off as a destination to visit. I've, I've had, uh, you know, I've unfortunately had to convince certain family and friends to, to visit here. And, uh, it's, it's, it's not something that I've, I've, uh, you know, I should have to do because I think that it's, it's reputation, um, is, is, not enough, I, or, or I think that it's reputation needs to be uh, uplifted by someone who's not, not, lived here uh, their whole life. But uh, I, I look forward to coming back often. And um, yeah, I think that I, you know, working at a small newspaper like the Sun News, I, I got a chance to really cover this state in a way that a, a kind of a cub reporter would not be able to in, in another city or in another state. 
I think I was closer to bigger stories sooner than if I was at a different newspaper. Sure. What do you want to add that we haven't discussed already? Oh, that I'm I'm like I've got the graduation goggles on right now that it's it's really bittersweet. Um, I think I'm moving on to a really exciting opportunity. I'll be doing a lot of the same type of work I do right now, just in Chicago where I attended college and um, but that I'm I'm really gonna miss my time here and and it's really fortunate that I have um, another couple of weeks before I actually move. I'm starting my next job remotely, but uh, it's it's allowing me, I think, to kind of ease out of it because I think I'd be too sad if I had to abruptly leave. But that that I've just I've fallen in love with this state and, and it's become my third home. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm almost certainly going to come back often. Well, uh, you're certainly welcome anytime you want. OK, I'll uh, I'll take the guest room. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for your time today. All right. Thanks, Damien. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporters' stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Michael for joining us this week. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can also find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at the Sun News, Thank you for the privilege of your time.